I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And today is our first Poetry Corner on the podcast. And in honor of Robert Frost's birthday, great, great literary poet, Robert Frost, we will be reading and analyzing some of his work. Um, So Caitlin's going to kick us off. I am. And we are going to start with the tried and true the road not taken. I'm sure every one of you has heard this, but um, we're going to read these poems to you anyway. So even if you have heard them, you're going to hear them. Get over it. (laughs) Get over it. Quit crying. Okay. Mm -hmm. The road not taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler long. I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So my overall thoughts, I like it, but it's certainly not my favorite of his work. I think it's fun. Um, Like on the surface level, it seems so serious, but actually like the entire thing is just a joke. He literally wrote this poem um, because he had uh, a friend who was a fellow poet named Edward Thomas, who was known for being super indecisive. And so Robert Frost wrote this poem um, for that friend. And it's like, whenever you read it back, you realize, oh, like he's just pulling our leg here. Right. Um, So the poem itself, the structure is four stanzas. It's five lines each. And this poem does have a rhyming scheme. So it's A, B, A, A, B. So the the first, third, and fourth line rhyme, and then the second and fifth. And it is written in iambic tetrameter. He actually was quoted as saying, uh, I was looking into him a little bit. He was quoted as saying, there's only two types of meter, strict and loose iambic. And I think that that is so evident in his poems because- In all of his poems. Yeah, it's either like the most like textbook, like iambic meter, or it's like, you can hear it in there, um, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, a little bit more lenient. And for those of you who aren't as familiar with those terms, iambic is just the, it has to do with the emphasis. So it's written and it sounds kind of like da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. It's like uh, the emphasis is on the second syllable. So that's all that means. So just to summarize the poem, there's a speaker walking through the forest and he arrives, or they arrive at the fork in the road, they look down one path and they're, they're straining to see as far down it as they can, but it kind of bends out of sight. And they look at the other path and they're like, well, that's, you know, that's just as good. And like, maybe it's been walked on a little bit less. So I think I'm going to pick that one. And they just kind of impulsively pick that. Um, once they're walking down the second path though, they're like trying to justify their choice. They're like, <laughs> yeah. So like, really they were worn about the same. Um, both of them were covered in leaves. So like, this is, you know, I'll just walk the other one a different day. And they're like, oh, but I guess, you know, 
that probably won't work out because I probably won't ever be back here again. Then at the end, they kind of imagine that they're telling this story in the future and they're making it sound a lot more dramatic than it really was. Um, They're like, I took the road less traveled by and that's made all the difference. Even though earlier they claimed that like either road would be equally as good and they can't actually know like if any difference would have been made because they won't ever be back to take the other road. So the the entire poem's just kind of a back and forth about how we kind of turn our little choices into big dramatic deals. The entire poem's a metaphor, I would say, for the choices that we make in life. And then uh, I would say that the two paths, um, since one is considered to be the one that's less traveled, it's the more conventional choice versus the less conventional choice. And so the speaker of this poem is convinced that they're taking the less conventional path. The poem- like Robert Frost just like fucks with everybody. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, yeah, this actually doesn't mean anything, but like- He's a little goofy boy for sure. Um, <laughs> he's also uh, got, you know, that irony kind of- coming full circle at the end so the entire poem the speaker is like well maybe I should pick that one or but maybe that one I don't know I'm going for it I'm just gonna pick this one so they start walking down the path and they're like was this the right choice I think it was the right choice um and then at the end all of a sudden they're like oh yeah it was absolutely the right choice and like it hasn't made all the difference in my life (laughs) so it's just making fun of people I won't lie (laughs) somebody would have said the same thing if they had chosen the other one so yeah just like nothing matters (laughs) yeah we're always trying to make ourselves feel better in retrospect about Um, our choices and even if we know that like oh absolutely (laughs) I fucked up we're like but you know what it was good for me because it built character and we've got all these like excuses why the choices that we made ended up being the right ones it's funny because like and we'll we'll touch on some more of his poems here in a little bit but it's funny to me that he just loves to play on like the folly of like humankind and how he he like knows like we're such just like flawed people and like we're gonna make the wrong choice anyway and I I like that he's serious about it but he's not like he's making fun of people because he's like no everyone's a fool yeah so I chose fire and ice by Robert Frost um it is a short little thing um which I liked it's got a crazy pattern to it though (laughs) so It starts with, some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. I love that. So the overall like thoughts on this, there's a lot to unpack in just like a, a short little little bit. There's only nine lines. Um, there's a rhyming scheme. It is iambic pentameter, but it's also iambic diameter. <laughs> it has both in there. And the format is freaking wild. I actually had to look it up because I was just like, I can't even decide like what this is supposed to be. It is ABA, ABC, BCB. And so it's supposed to give like, I think, kind of just like a reckless like vibe to it um almost like you're not 100% sure how it's supposed to be like delivered so kind of reads like stream of consciousness yeah like he's like actively thinking this and just like writing it down or like having an actual conversation with somebody which I think is cool because this 
poem was written right after war, World War II broke out. Um, so this is right in the midst of like a lot of arguments regarding like nuclear warfare and climate change and just a lot of different like problems that people were arguing about and like how's the world going to end? Like what's it going to be? Is it going to be like another ice age? Are we going to have like a nuclear bomb dropped on us? And so I think first of all, like having like fire and ice is like the two examples of like, how's the world going to end? I think it directly relates to it's either going to be nuclear warfare or it's going to be like another ice age coming. But really it's more just like a message for people because Robert Frost is like, at first is like, yeah, like it's going to end in fire. Makes sense. Makes the most sense. And he's like, but it could also be ice. And so like, there's no like right or wrong answer. And I think it also just shows that even though, something is bad there can be something worse <laughs> and he's like and if it's not fire it's gonna be ice and if it's not this thing it's gonna be this thing and so like, and the beauty of it is that it's like no matter what it is that's ending the world it's always people's fault the, the world's <laughs> going to end and it's somebody's fault yeah, yeah. <laughs> like people are focusing too much on how the world is going to end and not the fact that the world is ending yeah um, and like again, this poem I, is so relevant to like yeah. the world right now <laughs> It aged very well, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, the poem really, I think, is a metaphor really for like the indecision and destructive natures of people. Like they're not willing to acknowledge like when they're in danger or they're just so bent on being correct that they're not like acknowledging that there is like a danger to begin with or like what the final outcome is going to be. I also think there's a lot of similarities to like Dante's Inferno, which again, kind of talks about how there's so many different layers to hell and like there's so many different ways to cut it here and that like not one person is correct. Not one person's going to like end up the same, but they're all there because of something they did type of thing. So I don't know. It's a very interesting poem. He references Dante's Inferno and Birches as well, which is the next one. I think he has like a lot of ties to that, but it was also just very relevant for what was happening Mm -hmm. during that time in humanity. And it has not gotten better. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily say that it's gotten worse though, either. I think really it's, (laughs) it's the same thing. It's like, it's not getting worse. It's just a different beast to slay here like yeah what like Like, the world has always been terrible yeah will continue to be (laughs) nuclear warfare yeah that fucking sucks ice age yeah that's terrible are we gonna get freaking like sniped by like a corrupt government that sucks like all of it's bad like none of it's good (laughs) like one is not worse than the other (laughs) yeah like honestly um you know and these are the kind of things that used to like send me spiraling (laughs) but really it's just like who cares? Who cares? Because that's, it's that's a- like the, the thing that Robert what can you do saying? about He's it. Like, We're going to die. So who cares <laughs> how we die? There's absolutely nothing we can do to prevent it. So no. <laughs> yeah, and I, I really, I think it's a super funny poem because he's just like, oh my God. Yeah. Like could be this or it could be this. And actually he's just like, you dumb asshole. Like, <laughs> yeah, his coping mechanism is most definitely humor and mm-hmm. I'm here for it. It's I love that for Robert. Okay, so the birches is um it's actually a little bit longer here. It's 59 lines. So bear with me <laughs> as I read you this. It is it's a beautiful poem. That's so a small it. small book. So Birches by Robert Frost. When I see birches bend to left and right across the lines of straighter, darker trees, I like to think some boy's been swinging them. But swinging doesn't bend them down to stay. Ice storms do that. 
Often you must have seen them, loaded with ice a sunny winter morning after a rain. They click upon themselves as the breeze rises and turn many colored as the stir cracks and crazes their enamel. Soon the sun's warmth makes them shed crystal shells, shattering and avalanching on the snow crust. Such heaps of broken glass to sweep away, you'd think the inner dome of heaven had fallen. They are dragged to the withered bracken by the load, and they seem not to break. Though once they are bowed so low for long, they never right themselves. You may see their trunks arching in the woods years afterwards, trailing their leaves on the ground like girls on hands and knees that throw their hair before them over their heads to dry in the sun. But I was going to say when truth broke in with all her matter of fact about the ice storm, now am I free to be poetical? I should prefer to have some boy bend them as he went out and in to fetch the cows. Some boy too far from town to learn baseball, whose only play was what he found himself, summer or winter, and could play alone. One by one, he subdued his father's trees by writing them down over and over again until he took the stiffness out of them, and not one but hung limp. Not one was left for him to conquer. He learned all there was to learn about not launching out too soon and so not carrying the tree away clear to the ground. He always kept his poise to the top branches, climbing carefully with the same pains you used to fill a cup up to the brim and even above the brim. Then he flung outward, feet first with a swish, kicking his way down through the air to the ground. So was I once myself a swinger of birches, and so I dream of going back to be. It's when I'm weary of considerations and life is too much like a pathless wood where your face burns and tickles with the cobwebs broken across it and one eye is weeping from a twig's having lashed across it open. I'd like to get away from earth for a while and then come back to it to begin over. May no fate willfully misunderstand me and half grant what I wish and snatch me away not to return. Earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better. I'd like to go by climbing a birch tree and climb black branches up a snow white trunk toward heaven till the tree could bear no more, but dipped its top and set me down again. That would be good both going and coming back. One could do worse than be a swinger of birches. Oh my goodness. It is a lengthy boy. Um, the summary of this one is that the speaker sees bent over birch trees and Immediately, they're imagining like, oh, they're bent over like that because a boy was swinging from the branches and having a blast and they just kind of stayed bent. And then he's like, well, but obviously they wouldn't stay bent like that. Um, so what really happened is that there was an ice storm and the weight of the ice caused the trees to be bent so long that they stayed that way. Um, but even though they know the true cause of what has bent the birches, they prefer to imagine it's from the boy swinging them. So he's like, get out of here with that truth. I don't like that. <laughs> so the speaker becomes nostalgic, presumably for their own boyhood when he would swing the birch trees. And um, then now that they're older, they confess to wanting to go back to the simpler days of childhood, swinging from the birches to um, leave earth and then come back again to start over. So it's very much a, um, a poem about nostalgia and preferring to live kind of in your own version of the world, your romanticized imaginary version 
overall thoughts about this poem we did that in 59 lines only (laughs) 59 lines only um would you believe it (laughs) this poem is my shit like I read this for the first time actually um yesterday I had never read this one before I love it I love poems with um nature imagery first of all freaking love trees uh just as a symbol and like in general (laughs) freaking love trees um I'm a tree hugger and so this poem it just like it really spoke to me personally um just loved it and this poem like I said it's 59 lines is blank verse um so there's no rhyming and I kind of prefer that because it reads a little more like a story I like that every once in a while um I am big pentameter but it's pretty loose it's a pretty loose iambic And, uh, I, again, I like that too, because it's, it feels more conversational. Okay. So something that I really like and really stood out to me, especially when you read it out loud, he uses sound devices throughout the poem, but my favorite is when he's describing the ice cracking, he uses a bunch of C's and S's and S's. I love that. Yeah. So let me just kind of read this a little bit again. So As the stir cracks and crazes their enamel, soon the sun's warmth makes them shed crystal shells, shattering and avalanching on the snow crust. Like, it just, you know, it's like, (laughs) I love that. Um, He also uh, kind of softens up the sounds at the end, whenever it gets a little bit softer. And he's like, I'd like to go by climbing a birch tree and climb black branches up a snow white trunk toward heaven till the tree could bear no more. It's a lot more of like open vowel mm-hmm. sounds. Um, so he kind of like uses those sound devices to set the scene for what's going yeah. on. Some lines that I just loved and I feel like I need more attention. Uh, can we get a little more commotion for the line? Thank you, please. Thank you. Um, the simile about birches being just like like hunched over with their head flipped upside down with their hair down I was like that is so specific I know you can see exactly what he's like describing um I love that the the trees being described as girls on their hands and knees I also loved the description of when the ice is shattered and on the ground he said you'd think the inner dome of heaven had fallen and um I don't know exactly what that reference is, but he has so many just like religious, he he doesn't mean for it to be like a religious experience type thing. Like he wants to like, can, I think almost convey like the purity of it, but not like, it's not meant to be religious though. Mm -hmm. Like the, the holiness and, and sanctity of nature itself. Another line that I love, but it feels kind of out of place. And I think that's why I love it even more is when he's talking about like leaving earth and and returning, he says, earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better, but it's just interesting to me because he hasn't been talking about being in love with loving anything. Uh, But I do think I mean, not only is that just a a beautiful line, but I love how it kind of like just slips in there and, and kind of, you know, stutters the poem a little bit. He's like, you know, earth is the place for love. On top of that, he may not even be talking about like romantic love because at this Mm -hmm. point in time, he is 
you know, really throwing it back to his childhood, to things that like made him happy, to things that he really connected with. And so I think in that situation too, like it's really up to the the reader to kind of figure out like what type of love he's talking about, because at that point in time, you're also nostalgic and you're also thinking back to a simpler time. And so it's really up for interpretation there. Yeah. And it very well could be um, about like more of like the, the love of his parents and immediate Mm -hmm. family, but it is, it's funny though, because when he's describing the boy, their childhood, he kind of just talks about this little boy playing all by himself in the woods. And so maybe it's more just the love of nature itself, but it is safety he felt there. Yeah. Like feeling kind of nurtured by the trees instead of maybe by his family. Love that. Yeah. So it, it starts by the, the speaker kind of yeah, describing a young boy um, escaping reality by finding peace and joy among the birch trees. And then um, we come to the, uh, we're assuming the speaker is older than a boy. Um, so an adult version of this child, maybe um, wanting to relive that. So yeah, it's nice. It's like a little cycle of innocence. It's a beautiful poem. No, it really is. And he, yes. he's not joking around in this one. It's no, just I think he's nice. very serious. <laughs> yeah, it's very sincere. Awesome. Well, the one that I chose next, and um, it kind of reminds me of what you were talking about with um, your first poem about how he made it seem very, very serious when in fact it was supposed to be something very lighthearted. Um, the next poem I chose was The Oven Bird. Um, and when I read it the first time, I had kind of the opposite feeling about it. I was like, wow, this is a very just like kind of upbeat, like poem I thought that was very beautiful and then the more I read it the more I was just like oh no like this is this is very sad this is very dark again about the transition from you know adolescence to dying it's basically like the changing of the seasons is representing your descent into death essentially (laughs) it's it's a little deep um (laughs) hashtag deep the oven bird there is a singer everyone has heard loud a midsummer and a midwood bird who makes the solid tree trunk sound again. He says that leaves are old and that for flowers, midsummer is to spring as one to 10. He says the early petal fall is past when pear and cherry blossom bloom went down in showers. On sunny days, a moment overcast and comes that other fall we named the fall. He says the highway dust is over all, the bird would cease and be as other birds, but that he knows in singing not to sing. The question that he frames is in all but words is what to make of a diminished thing. That one's hard to read. Um, it's <laughs> again, kind of just like all over the place. He writes it very specifically because again, it is supposed to invoke like a certain emotion because you are at a certain point in your life in basically each stanza. So when we start off with the beginning, there's a, a singer everyone has heard, loud, a midsummer, midwood bird. Um, it makes me think of a child being brought into the world, a loud screaming child. And that's supposed to like kind of kick off the transition from winter into the spring time months. And so um, as the leaves are growing old and that for flowers, midsummer is a spring as one to 10, we are transitioning into the bloom of life, into adolescence and um, like the growing of the child. And so basically the whole poem, we just kind of continue to see like that development of the person. In this case, I, I think it's a turkey. I think the bird we're talking about is a turkey. I'm assuming it's a turkey. Um, goes in the oven usually. <laughs> yeah. 
right? But I think that it's kind of meant to make the reader come to terms with the fact, again, that you're going to die because Robert Frost really likes to make everyone remember that like nothing is permanent in this life, like the seasons, like the turkey itself, nothing is permanent. Um, This is a traditional sonnet. So it's 14 lines, iambic pentameter, rhyming scheme, pretty straightforward, except for the rhyming scheme itself. It's very, very different, similar to like uh, fire and ice, like it's kind of hard to follow at first. Um, I didn't write down like what the style was, but it does focus very heavily on like the stress of certain words and like the softening of others. And so I don't think I really did it justice, but um, especially when it's saying on sunny days, a moment overcast and comes that other fall, we name the fall. He uses a lot of enjambment in his poems. I don't know if you really noticed that, but um, like a ton of enjambment. And so I love the double meaning of so many of his lines and especially um, where he says the birds would cease and be as other birds, but that he knows in singing not to sing. And so that is like the closing of like the turkey's life. So we're like at the end of fall where, you know, traditionally people go out and start hunting turkeys and everything. And so um, he starts off as this very loud, but like proud creature and no nothing really bothers him because he's young and untouchable and and that's how most children are and so as he gets older and the seasons come to a close he gets quieter and he knows that by you know being proudful being loud it's going to be his eventual demise and so um it's just very dark (laughs) it is like when you think of it literally like yeah but it also I think has like a a beauty to it like I mean like it is that is nature's yeah yeah like the circle of life you know um right but it is sometimes like uncomfortable to bring attention to that but yeah I I appreciate the way that poets do it because mm-hmm. at least it sounds pretty when we're talking yeah, about and you still have like the direct ties to nature and I think that's what makes it like a little less harsh of a blow is because yeah. he is comparing it to like the natural progression of the seasons he's like yeah everyone has like a different season of life and some come sooner some come later like the other birds like their times may be different than what the turkeys is going to be and yeah. I think that's really really nice um There are, again, some, I think, religious, like, associations whenever they are talking about the fall that is the fall. He was referencing, like, Adam and Eve, like, the fall of humanity, the fall of, like, man and woman themselves, and so. Could even be the fall of, like, Lucifer. Exactly, and so really, again, like, I don't think he's trying to necessarily point fingers or anything, but saying, like, everyone has their eventual fall, they eventually have their own. like demise um whether that be natural or you know brought on by themselves type of thing so yeah yeah and I don't think he yeah he doesn't necessarily mean that it's um a bad thing it's just like yeah it's just that's everyone has time in their life the last two lines of it's really cool too um he says the question that he frames in all but words is what to make of a diminished thing basically I think he's saying like what happens at the end of life is like up for your interpret. Like it's up for you to decide like what happens when you die or like how you live the end of your life, how you bring it to fruition. Um, yeah. yeah so I think it's an, a neat little poem. It is a neat poem. I haven't read a lot of his works. So that one was new to me as well. And mm-hmm. I like it a lot. I chose it at random and it ended up being one of my favorites. (laughs) I love that. And I know that a lot of his poems are nature 
centric so Mm -hmm. because you had mentioned like he brought up nature again I think he has a lot of nature imagery uh, throughout his work I think it's just because like I mean obviously human beings we are part of like the natural revolution of what everything is and so like there are so many like illusions you can draw to nature as opposed to like humanity and yeah absolutely because obviously we are natural beings like right um even though we like to pretend that we're not (laughs) exactly and I think that's what he's trying to point out is that even like as much as we want to pretend like we're above it like we're not yeah we want to pretend that we're separate from this but Mm -hmm. we're not Robert said no (laughs) Robert says um you're an animal <laughs> You're actually a turkey. So gobble gobble. All turkeys, if you didn't know. One other thing I just wanted to define, just because I feel like we talked about it really quick, but maybe there are some people who haven't heard the term is enjambment. Hmm. Um so since you're the one who pointed it out, would you like to kind of give a definition of what enjambment means? Yeah, so enjambment's one of my favorite literary devices. Basically, Thanks. it's like when you have a line and the line kind of it could end but it could also pick up in the next line so Caitlin when we were in high school gave a really great example of what enjambment is to our entire class so if you've never heard the song Caribou Lou by Tech 9 one of the lines in it is <laughs> make baby girl come out of her shell and that's enjambment because it could end at the first one but it could also be two whole sentences so yeah and they very clearly emphasize that in the song if you haven't listened to it um in a poem it's it's obvious on paper because Mm -hmm. it will literally um stop in the middle of that line and go on to the next line so it will be written in two parts um so like situation usually in fire and ice, like one of the examples of it is, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction ice. Um, so it could have ended, I think I know enough of hate, um, but then it can also be combined with that next line. Yeah. And I think if you really want to like find a good example of enjambment, check out like any of Margaret Atwood's poems um, because she frequently uses them and they're usually pretty obvious too. Poetry, obviously, super subjective. So if you guys have any differing opinions about any of the poems that we read today, like, let us know. Email us because we'd love to hear your interpretations. And feel free to email us. What is your favorite Robert Frost poem? Um, Our email is thesisterswarden at gmail.com. Or if you have some ideas for like future poets that you'd like to hear, we are going to try to do poetry quarters pretty frequently if we can. Um, We love shining some light on some poets. So yeah, send them on over to us. Um, Tune in next week. We are going to be wrapping up A Court of Thorns and Roses, the Akatar series. I am, thank you all for sticking with us as we get through this series it's one of our favorites. So we're super, super excited to be wrapping that up with you. Um, so go ahead. If you haven't started already, get started on reading it. It is thick. It is <laughs> a, a thick book. And I won't lie to you at the time that we are recording this episode, I have not started it yet. So I've got to <laughs> catch up. Um, so yeah, tune in next week. And as always, let's get lit. 